This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Hey there, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Back Talk, the talk show for Black parents. Now, today we have C. Murray. She is uh, James. She is the vice president of policy for the National Black Child Development Institute. And we're talking about the very disturbing pre-K to prison pipeline. Now, if you haven't heard of it, stay tuned because today you will become woke on a whole other level. So welcome. I appreciate you being here, Seymourine. Thank you very much for having me. We are honored. It's National Black Child Development Week this week. And National Black Child Development Institute is honored to be featured on Successful Black Parenting Magazine's podcast. Well, thank you so much. I, I mean, I can't tell you how much this means to us. Um, we love what you guys do there. So to have you on as a, a guest is uh, really, really important, especially to talk about this particular um, problem that we're seeing. And we're seeing it in schools throughout the United States, correct? Yes. And I think what a lot of people don't know is the level to which we're seeing it in preschools. Um, children as young as three and four years old are being suspended at such high rates 250 children a day um, is what the data indicates. Wow. Can you explain to our viewers a little bit what is this pre-K to prison pipeline that we keep hearing about and how did we first figure out this is a real problem? So the preschool to prison pipeline is based on research. So as you have children who are labeled um, very young as having a behavioral problem who are punished instead of supported, um, you have labeled them and those labels follow children. And so just as young children, young black children, young black girls and boys are over monitored in the classrooms um, at very young ages, they are over monitored in high school. Um, they are over monitored. They don't feel welcome and connected in classrooms with their peers and with their educators. The more we isolate children, the more that we push them out of the classroom that follows them and it becomes a bigger and bigger problem until they're ending up more likely to be arrested, more likely to have run-ins with the law, more likely to experience truancy. Again, because we've, we've given a very clear message when it starts at three years old, you have a very clear message that you are not welcome in education spaces. Three years old. Now, when did we start expelling students from preschool? I don't remember that being a thing when like my kids were really little. And now, you know, of course, I have grandchildren. But and why are our children being targeted? What's what's going on here? So we can credit uh, the Civil Rights Office at the Department of Education for starting to collect this data. So a good thing as more um, cities and states are having um, pre-K in their public schools, then those pre-K classrooms are subject to the same data and monitoring and reporting to the Civil Rights Office. And so as we, we've had this data for, for over 10 years now, where we can see that Black children, we have the racial breakdown, and we can see that Black children are suspended 3.6 times more likely to be suspended, again, at three and four years old. Um, and so it's not something I remember um, in my experience, and you may not in your experience. However, I think this is a longstanding issue. It's just we've turned the lights on by having the data. Well, thank goodness. Now, I know that we have the 
Education Secretary of the United States, or the United States Secretary of Education, I should say, Betsy DeVos, um, who now wants to roll back some of these civil right protections that protected students, um, especially in public schools. Um, now, how will this affect the, the, this whole prison pipeline that we're trying to eliminate and the data that goes with it? So the guidance that was out there was exactly it. It was guidance. It was helping principals, educators, um, those who are in, in positions of decision-making and scoreboard directors understand what they need to do to address this guidance um, or to address the issue through the guidance. Um, so they also, um, and not a lot of people know this, but they also put out guidance around preschool as well and early education. And so this was very comprehensive guidance that was out there about how we engage families how we ensure that parents understand this issue and they have access to the same data that we have as advocates. I think the danger in pulling back the guidance means that uh, people who are not, who've decided that all children should not be protected in school feel emboldened. Um, and so what the guidance gives is something for advocates to hold on to and say, listen, we need to work on this. It means that when the superintendent of Seattle Public Schools says we need to do something different, it was we can pull out this guidance and really say, this is what the research says. This is what the Department of Education is saying we need to do to protect civil rights. Um, as you're pulling back that guidance, again, it weakens the strength that we have. And so although the guidance doesn't say you're accountable to X and this has to be done, it points us towards what we know is best for children. And so it just it, it weakens um, what advocates have had as a tool in moving this issue forward. All right. Now, there, the data shows that there, uh, there's a difference between boys and girls with getting suspended and expelled from school, even in preschool. Um, yeah. I, I read different reports that um, Black girls are often seen as more mature than they are, which I, it seems that to me that would have uh, feet right into that, where they'll get suspended faster than uh, a little white girl her same age. Um, how does that work with this whole uh, data that you see, the, the data that you see in the prison pipeline? So what I see is it, it means that the children we decide to protect, I think about this issue um, based on three principles, um, if, if you'll bear with me. So one is that we have to move from exclusion to inclusion. We need all children to feel welcome. We need to respond to them with teaching instead of punishing. And so if you see a child and you don't see them as a child that you should protect, then you're going to say, I need to punish you in order to protect the other children who are in this classroom. The second principle, this is about adult decisions. This is about, again, if you're seeing that young girl as older, as not as innocent, as not someone you should be nurturing and educating, then you are more likely to lean on punishment instead of teaching her. A three-year-old is there absolutely to learn. And then the third is that all children are deserving. A, a child that's bigger than the other children, a child that um, looks or acts in a way that you consider more grown up than other children doesn't mean that they are not deserving of learning. And to at three and four-year-old decide that some children are not deserving, that goes against the principles that we really believe in at the National Black Child Development Institute. Right. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right about that. And a lot of times that will happen, especially if the child is even bigger 
than the classmates. They will be punished with almost anything that they will do that's normal behavior or that might be um, equal to another child who is white and not um, be punished the same way. So go ahead. For example, we've seen, you know, I have this pencil and I've poked my classmate with it. Mm -hmm. And one teacher sees that as I need to correct an inappropriate behavior. Here's what's appropriate with a pencil. Here's what's inappropriate. And another teacher says, this child has used a weapon to stab another child. And that's a completely different way. And we've seen these, these are our documented cases and children, um, and our, our CEO, Tobika Green says this all the time, children understand when they're not being treated fairly. And so this is what we mean by the preschool to prison pipeline. We're sending a message to them very young that I'm not treated the same way, that when I spill the glue, I've done something wrong. But when someone else spills the glue, it's they're, they're so curious and, and excited about the day. We have to stop that, that implicit bias that leads to unfair treatment for Black children. And what can we do about it, especially as parents uh, of preschoolers? What can we do to be empowered to make this change? Uh, we are the change we want to see. So how do we do that? What, do you, what recommendations does the National Black Child Development Institute advise? So I want to start with um, parents being educated on this issue and knowing the data. And so if your child is in a program that has data, have you ever asked for the data? And for the most part, we're going to hear parents say no. They've never thought about asking for the data, asking for their also their written discipline policy. Does your program have a written policy when it comes to school discipline? You want to see that. Um, and then knowing your rights. So not only what's on the books at your school, what are your state level laws on this? What are your county or city level um, ordinances when it comes to early childhood education um, and school discipline? And so we have to make sure that parents understand what their rights are. Do they know that just here in Maryland um, last year, there was um, a bill that came up that passed the Senate, it passed um, the state Senate and the House, but the governor didn't sign it into law. How many parents know that's an issue I need to be involved, I need to be speaking out to ensure that this changes? So A, it's educating yourself. What are the current laws? What's legal? What's not legal? There are, um, in Connecticut, we had um, 1,500 students suspended after this issue was, um, was banned by law, saying the exceptions are violent and sexual nature. Again, when you're seen as older, more mature, um, a threat to other children, Black children will be more likely to be labeled with this, this instance is something that's violent instead of playful, instead of a three-year-old or four-year-old learning about their bodies and learning about interaction. So that would be the first. I would say the second is to get the data. If it's not there, you need to advocate for data um, so that we know what's going on. And third, request due process. And so where there is an issue where your child might be um, up for suspension or expulsion, ask for a parent counsel, an objective voice. Ask to bring this in front of your city council. Ask to bring this in front of your school district. But request due process, make a request that your center, that there is an objective body that will be designed to review suspensions and expulsions and get involved, bring parents together to create a process um, that is that is objective 
um, and that is really informed by child development. Bring it in and say, listen, this is developmentally appropriate. This is developmentally appropriate for a three-year-old. It's not something that requires a suspension. So, so a parent counsel. So what so do you recommend for preschools? What should their policies look like to keep black children from being targeted? So I have to, at this point, of course, bring up the Delivering on the Promise Initiative, NBCDI's national initiative around um, ending the suspension and expulsion crisis in early childhood. Um, we would love for centers, um, we already have so many who are in our community of practice, we would love for them to join our community of practice. If you're a leader in a center who says, I'm not sure how to change my practice in a way that's going to support my business, I really would like some help on this. Please join NBCDI's um, delivering, delivering on the Promise community of practice. And so you can go on our website to learn more. Um, I'm sure Janice will share our email address, um, but please reach out because we want to work with you, um, all of those who really want to make change on this issue. What I'll say here very briefly, because we have pages and pages um, in the white paper we're writing on this, but what I'll say here briefly is, again, moving from exclusion to inclusion. When you're moving from punishing to teaching, that's going to make you stop and try to understand what a child's behavior is communicating. What do they need in this moment? You're gonna stop and say, what doesn't this child know? Instead of thinking this, this child considers this pencil a weapon and they're stabbing, well, maybe they don't know that this looks like a weapon when they do this and that this is always appropriate for writing and never appropriate for playing and really understanding and differentiating what a toy is. And so we want to be there to provide the resources and supports that educators need. And I just put the website right up there so everyone can see it. Um, now this continues to follow our children through elementary and secondary schools too. Um, many high schools have armed resource officers, uh, school resource officers known as SROs. Uh, and with the problematic police relations in the black community, how does that present like uh, with the armed police in schools? How does that presence exer uh, exacerbate the situation of criminalizing students or, or does it? So I want to say, first and foremost, we want to ensure that all children in schools are safe. Um, so let me pause here and give condolences um, at Santa Fe High School um, right outside of Houston where there was a school shooting today. We absolutely believe in safety for all children. Now, what that means is that we have to ensure that student resource officers understand they have, have had an opportunity to deal with their own bias. They've had some training on implicit bias, on racial bias, so that they are not um, disenfranchising some children and pushing them out and making them unwelcome in school while they're attempting to uh, protect others. And so we want to make sure that we have that balance there. And it's very clear that children who are here, all children are here to learn. That's what they're in school for. And so a student resource officer also has a responsibility to be a teacher. One um, example we point to a lot is when an officer handcuffed a six-year-old girl in Chicago and this is little Madison um, in Chicago. And what he said was, I was trying to teach her a lesson. It is never developmentally appropriate to handcuff a child and assume that they're learning something other than that they're not a child that has dignity. He has completely robbed that little girl of her dignity and her faith in the classroom. 
her faith in her teachers, her faith in the student resource officer. We have to ensure that when we talk about school safety, that we've decided that all children deserve to be safe and that we're educating and preparing student resource officers to take that approach to all children. Okay. Now, as parents, um, do we have to worry that there's a purposeful effort to incarcerate Black children? And if so, why? Do privatized prisons have anything to do with this? So as parents, we should be very aware of racism. We should be very aware of implicit bias, that the, the research you pointed to earlier, our children are not seen as, as, as innocent. They're seen as bigger. They're seen as older. They're not seen through the same lens. And so we have to be there as protectors for our children and really work to support this. This is a systemic issue. So it's why we call our, our initiative Delivering on the Promise. It means that we're saying young people should not have to deliver on us a behavior that means that we'll treat them in a way that's fair. It means that we should deliver fair treatment to all children. And so this absolutely is about a systemic crisis in our school districts. Um, and I just wanna be clear about that. And we should be clear about how um, these truancy, the monitoring, of black children does lead to higher rates of imprisonment. Um, and I want black parents to be cognizant of that so that um, they come from a position of strength and power um, when, when their child has had a run-in with a student resource officer or out in the community. They really have to be, they have to be very savvy and very educated about how to engage with, um, with police. There are times when we tell our children to be honest, we tell them to be upfront, but they also have a, a right to remain silent. Um, and that's not disrespect. And so there are some things that black, black parents absolutely need to be teaching their children and preparing them for, and definitely vigilant about any, any run-in um, with a student resource officer or any run-in with the police in the community. We should make sure that we are protecting young children, again, who are just more likely to receive harsher punishment than their peers. Okay, can you tell our viewers a little bit about the National Black Child Development Institute? Because your research comes from within, correct? You do your own research there on white papers uh, and such as, or I mean, the reason I'm asking you this in particular is because there was an incident last week that happened with um, this woman who was a Yale student. You might be familiar with it. Um, and she was sleeping in the common area. And then the person who reported her, who had a, ha a, a history of reporting uh, black people just living their lives, uh, was a researcher on the school to prison pipeline effort, but she has clearly exhibited racist behaviors. So, you know, as parents, we feel more comfortable knowing that this research is not coming from a biased area and it's coming from within our own community. So I'll start with the part on our research around delivering on the promise, but then I do want to give the overview of the organization. Um, so a part of the delivering on the promise initiative will be engaging directly with parents because we know that when um, in any area, not just education, when policies are passed that are designed to help everyone, they help black people the least. 
that's historical, it's documented as a, as a part of our history in this country. And so we will be um, going to states where legislation has been passed to ban suspensions and expulsions, but having conversations with Black parents to gauge whether or not they are experiencing positive benefits um, from that. And so we absolutely believe that any policy initiative that we're putting in place, we have to hear from the people that those policies will be designed to benefit. And so that'll be a part of it. We have focus groups. They will be research-based. Um, and we absolutely believe that we need more, um, more investment and more resources put into research on Black children um, and not just about the deficits. We need positive um, research on Black children's strengths, but also how systems are failing Black children. We usually, when we see research, it's about deficits in Black children. We have to look at the deficits of the system, as you said, our school systems, our prison systems as well. Right. All right. And are there any other upcoming initiatives that the um, Institute is doing that parents would be interested in? Absolutely. So we will be um, this, this year um, publishing three State of the Black Child report cards. Um, that is um, our time to give a very clear analytical tool, um, an advocacy tool to parents um, that will be completely easy to use that says, here are the top issues in this state. So it will be Texas, Georgia, and Washington state. Um, but I do believe that those data points, we see trends across the country. And so I would say for a parent in any state to look out for um, look out for our policy brief on delivering on the promise as we share what we're learning. Look out for those State of the Black Child report cards so that they know, because we've engaged with parents and educators, so those are informing those report cards. And so that'll be, these are the top things in the state of Georgia that our parents, educators, advocates who are there to stand up for Black children need to be paying attention to. Okay. Now, parents can also help because you guys have memberships too. Um, they can support you in that way, correct? Yes, and I, I do wanna give an overview of the, the organization because we've been around for 48 years. Um, we have been committed to our mission to improve and advance the quality of life for um, black children and families through education and advocacy. Um, parents can um, become members um, by going on our website. They can also um, really join their local affiliates. So we have affiliates in 26 cities across the country. Um, and we join with the affiliates to develop and implement evidence-based, culturally relevant, trauma-informed, um, strengths-based um, technical assistance, training, initiatives. Um, if you're engaging with your affiliate as a parent, we absolutely want you to ask about our family empowerment program which is um, 20 years um, of implementation of this program. We have been su supporting and training parents um, to reflect on how they were parented and what parenting practices they want to be a leader and advocate for their child. So the same things that we've been talking about, the skills that we know parents need um, to support and protect their children, we are providing and really instilling, we're actually unlocking those skills within parents. We know it's called empowerment because parents have the power. We would like to really help parents get in touch with the power that they have in their children's lives 
And if I'm going on about it, it's because that is my favorite thing in the work that we do. Okay. Well, Seema Ray, if I were to ask you about you and what is your superpower, what would you say? So I would say the moments in my life where I feel most powerful is absolutely in this conversation. When I am talking about, when I am letting people know that it's not their children, that there's not an issue with your child, that it's an issue with the system. And so for me, it's helping, it's like helping people turn the corner. I like that idea of turning the lights on, that like now you have the data, the lights are on in your school, the lights are on in, in your child's classroom. You know how to advocate for your child. You know what to say when you walk in there. To me, it's it's all about kind of shining a light in a place that's dark because so many parents, they feel it's their child. They feel there's, there's um, an issue with their parenting style or their child. And really what we're doing is really shining a light there and saying, no, we're putting the light on the system. And we're putting the light on how our schools and education systems are failing black children. Wow. Well, I want to thank you for, for coming on Back Talk. We're at the end of the show. I could talk to you all, all day. Uh, uh, but you do have the website. I'm going to put that back up for our parents. So check out their website. The membership is affordable. Um, you can support them in the work that they do. And by supporting them, you're supporting your own children. So I highly encourage you all to go to the website and just peruse it. Um, and if you can, and if you, you feel they're worthy, which they definitely are, please go ahead and join uh, for the year uh, with your local uh, you know, uh, affiliate because that's going to be, I think that's really necessary that we support our own and people who are doing positive work like the National Black Child Development Institute. Well, thank you again, Crystal. Thank you very much. I'm, Crystal. I'm sorry. I saw Crystal up there. <laughs> Seema Ray, I'm sorry. I was reading Crystal's uh, uh, comment and I, I read Crystal, but thank you, Seema Ray, for coming on. Um, if, go ahead. If you're watching, be sure to follow us on social media at Black Parenting One. We were the first Black Parenting magazine in the nation in print. So you can find us there on Black Parenting One on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. So until next time, we will see you soon. And this has been a great conversation. We hope to have you back uh, soon, uh, Seema Ray. So I really appreciate it again. Thank you very much. We're honored to be on. Okay. All right. And that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon.